Hey, this is Ryan. And this is Steve. And you're listening to 60 Cycle Hum, the guitar buying, selling, trading of uh, crap. <laughs> oh, fumble. I'm not going to stop it. You oh. just have to correct yourself. Oh, man. But I was told that we had to nail this one every time. Yeah, we'll do it again. All right. This is Steve. And you're listening to... <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, man. Thanks a lot, uh, Central Cal Contingent. Yeah. Uh, this is Steve. And you're listening to 60 Cycle Hum, the guitar buying, selling, trading, fixing, modding, reviewing, breaking, and playing podcast. Nice. You did it. <laughs> That was awful. <laughs> We're on our uh, third beer for the night because this is episode two yep. of our session. And uh, what are we on here? We're on the General Sherman IPA. The yeah. General Sherman is a uh, is a big old tree that's out in uh, Yosemite. Yeah, it's one of them big old trees. It's one of those big old trees. What do they call those things? The sequoias. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. Is I think it's supposed to be the biggest one, the General Sherman. I think so. I think the Sherman is. Yeah. It's impressive. I've seen it in person. I've been yeah. to Yosemite a whole bunch of times. If I remember, like, the pathway around that thing takes, like, a freaking, like, minute to walk around. Yeah, you need to, ta- like you need to stop and have lunch to get around yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty. No, I mean, it's free and ridiculous. Yeah. No. Yes. No. Yes. Jeez, make up your mind. <laughs> yeah. So we're hitting the IPA. We already hit these other two bottles. Um, we're having a good old time over here. Do we have anything new that we want to talk about? I don't have anything. I talked last week. You did talk last week. I don't think I have anything new. I don't know, dude. No, I you don't. You buy anything lately? I don't think... You get I... anything on Black Friday? I bought that computer last week. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But uh, that doesn't really have anything to do with any of this. Nope. Hmm. Well, I guess we don't have anything new. It's just one of those weeks, I guess. Super, super exciting podcast. Well, that, that's been the podcast. See you next week. Yep, bye. <laughs> How great would it be if we just ended it? Sure. But we still let it run for like <laughs> 50 minutes. So it looked like a full episode. What if people just listen to silence for 50 minutes? Like <laughs> thinking that it's like a hidden track. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay. Well, let's just jump straight into ads then. Uh, we've got this ad that uh, Domvin sent to us. I'm pretty sure Domvin sent it. Yeah. Um, it's for a bass, and it is mangled. It is in bad shape. This thing looks like garbage, but the worst thing about it is the pictures are worthless. The pictures are terrible. You know, they always say, like, a picture says it was a picture. is worth, worth a thousand words. words. These pictures are worth, like, two words. Freaking awful. Well, there's uh, there's five pictures. Let's see if we can get 5,000 words in. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, well, there's one. One big... Uh, this thing... Uh, it's got, like, the banana headstock. I bet it's a Kramer. You think it's a Kramer base? Originally, that would explain the body style. Originally, the body I style thought was this was, like, an Epiphone... Yeah. Uh, like kind of like explorer shape from the 80s or 90s or something but i'm starting to think that this is one of the kramer reissues mm. and someone just completely mangled the body it was probably a star shape or something right and they cut a horn off and some other pieces off of it it's kind of a weird triangle shape now uh it's just messed up man it's 45 bucks though but it's messed up it's so ugly I don't know what this is good for. It's good for like a like a canoe oar, 
Like, if you got a canoe, you can take this out with you and, like, paddle around with it. Right. For 45 bucks. You know, the, one of the pictures shows a DeMarzio P-Base pickup in it. I think that alone could be worth, like, 30 to 40 bucks. Yeah. I think you could make, find somebody, if you're in a large enough city, you could find somebody who would buy this without the rest of the parts for, like, 40 bucks, and you just call it an even break without the pickup. Yeah, possibly. You might be able to slam that neck on something or make your own body and make something kind of cool out of it. I just don't think it's worth it. I don't know. I, I'm on the fence because I've so I've got that Squire P. Did we? I don't. I think we talked about it. I think we mentioned it. Um, so I have this Ooh, Squire P base. That IPA is sharp. Yeah, I like it. Or citrusy, man. Yeah, tastes like pine needles. <laughs> That's IPA. Yep. Um, and uh, the the. Pickup is something like I've definitely been thinking about swapping out. And I know, like, our friend Adam, who also has a Squire Pede base, has been trying to figure out, like, if he's going to make a pickup swap. Uh huh. And um, I don't know, for 45 bucks with a DiMarzio P in it, I might, like I said, I might get it, pull the pickup out, maybe even put the Squire pickup in it and put it back up for oh, like 40 yeah. bucks or whatever. Or 45 bucks again. Or 45 bucks. <laughs> Buy a cheap plastic nut. I mean, the reality is, is. We say like, oh, 45 bucks, this thing is garbage. But one, the pictures are awful. Yeah. Two, if it had a nut and a set of strings on it, like we'd be like, oh, 45 bucks, cool bass. Yeah, it doesn't have strings. What's the cheapest set of bass strings out there right now? Uh, Aren't they usually like 25 bucks or something? It depends on what you get. I've always paid, I think, about 13 bucks for my carbon strings. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm sure there's some, like maybe Diodario might be a little cheaper. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just I'm looking at this thing and it, nothing about it is is appealing to me. And I like junk, man. I like garbage. No, the base itself looks like trash. Yeah. yeah. I say we should just jump right into the next ad. Burn it on the fire. Yeah. All right. Uh, this next ad is for a Dean Mock SR. 71 for $600. And I'm talking slow because my Google Drive app just crashed. <laughs> and, all right, so here we go. This thing looks like a can opener. It says it's one of one. I don't know what that means. Um, <laughs> there was one of these made. This all, is the first one. <laughs> and all it says is Dean Mock SR71 electric guitar, one of one, comes with gig bag. And this is in uh, Valparaiso, Indiana. I was only able to find one of these on eBay, and it was a, a completely different finish. Like, it was a solid red finish. Right. This has, like, a Knight Rider finish, where it's black with, like, red pinstripes. Yeah. Um, I so, don't know anything about these. I wonder if that's where the one-of-one one comes from, if, like, maybe it was, like, a custom yeah. uh, build for somebody. Um, it's definitely a weird piece. It's got crazy fret access on it. Yeah. Like, this goes all the way down to the 24th fret. But yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a pointy... It's a pointy, star-shaped, based guitar. It looks... Like I said, it looks like a can opener. Like, you could just jam this into a giant metal oh, can yeah. and open it up. Or, like, a wrench or something like that. Uh, who would play this sort of thing? Some kind of metal band would play this. Some kind of, like, orgy-style band... You think orgy? 
You think, think like that industrial? Yeah, sound? totally. They'd put they'd put like a Roland pickup in that and uh, <laughs> and dial in all kinds of crazy sounds and stuff. Man, we just got some funky guitars this episode. Yeah. I don't know a lot about this whole Dean Mock series. Yeah. Um, I mean, the one that I found on eBay was only like 400 bucks. I don't know. Right. Six, this thing might be like a custom finish or something, so maybe 600 bucks is worth it, but I don't know, man. I don't know. This thing's crazy looking. I think it's got a, like a caliber trim on it, too. Yeah, the trim looks a little off. You, you can tell the way that the, the bar mounts deeper into the tremolo it mounts like in between the b and the g string right you ready to hit that last one <laughs> we're flying dude. oh my gosh this podcast is going to be over so quick 30 minutes yeah let's this, do it this beer is just making us go fast we got the foot like on the accelerator hey don't like, drink and drive faster 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 we got to wrap it up you know <laughs> maybe we'll hit that other ad let's hit the we're doing weird ads we'll hit this one that i didn't want to hit Oh no! I don't. What are you going to say about this? Uh, that's all, folks. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a Bugs Bunny guitar. Yeah, a uh, guitar by Rick Hayes. No idea who Rick Hayes is. Uh, from uh, he's Warner Isaac, Brothers, he's related to Isaac Hayes. They want fifty nine hundred dollars for this five thousand nine hundred dollars. Why not just go six? You know. Yeah, uh, if you're paying fifty nine, you'll pay six. You'll pay six. You'll round up to six. Uh, this thing is, the body is, is, is Bugs Bunny's head. What else do you have to, what else can you say about it? There's, this thing looks so cheesy. Yeah. It's got one pickup and it's in the neck so that they didn't like put a pickup over Bugs Bunny's eye. Yeah. I feel, so this is not too far from us. I feel like we should have gone to check this out. Oh my gosh. Like just to see like what, what's the deal? Yeah. Uh. This pro- this thing probably was from the WB store. Remember the WB store down in no. downtown in the mall? I don't think I've ever seen that store. There used to be a store that was all Warner Brothers stuff, all Warner Brothers merchandise. Are they like trying to be the Disney store? Basically. Weird. But like no one ever shopped there. There's only a few people left in the world who want to wear an oversized Tweety Bird shirt. Dude, you remember? And you get that shirt from Walmart, not from an overpriced. Yeah, you remember back in the day when like everyone was rocking Planet Hollywood jackets? Yeah, it was. Well, it was right next to Planet Hollywood. Like it was that same scene. Yeah, this was probably on the wall up there. Whoever was like the manager or something at that store probably got to take this home with him when the store closed because no one else wanted it, and now he's trying to sell it. So I do find a Rick Hayes guitars. Um, I'm trying to get this side open. It's the site itself seems like it's a little slow. Um, but it looks like this guy mostly builds acoustic guitars now, but it is the same company. Like, Are they in a, the shape of bugs money? No. Oh, weird. Sorry. <laughs> uh, but there's only just this one picture of one acoustic guitar and it says guitar, uh, guitars and mandolin. So I, I have no idea who the heck would, what? I like that that I didn't want to do this ad, but now I'm going to talk about it a bunch. Yeah, who the heck would play this? What is the market? 
Oh, but the Bugs Bunny guitar is on his website. It is? She says he put together a few electric guitars in his day and even created a sculpted Bugs Bunny guitar for Warner Brothers once upon a time. But his true passion these days is in building bluegrass mandolins and guitars from a player's perspective. So it is totally possible that this guitar is worth six grand. Like maybe this is just some unknown builder that. Well, unknown like, to us. Well, that's what I mean. Right. But like, if you are uh, a fan of Warner Brothers memorabilia for some reason, like this would be your jam. I don't know. For $6,000 though, if you've got $6,000 and you want to buy Warner Brothers memorabilia, you're buying animation frames, like a bunch of them. Yeah. You're not buying this. You're buying like original celluloid yeah. prints and whatever. I can't imagine a scenario where someone would get out on a stage or sit down in a studio with this guitar. Maybe this guitar was used to like do uh, Mary Melodies covers. <laughs> I don't know. This man. will get you the best Looney Tune tone. Like the only scenario. Looney Tone? The, the only scenario where I can imagine this thing selling is. With like, there's like a rich couple, like stupid rich. The wife doesn't know what to get her husband. She goes to the mall. She's like, oh, my husband loves cartoons. He loves Warner Brothers cartoons and Bugs Bunny. And he kind of likes guitar. Here we go. Two things in one. This will be a great Christmas present. $7,000? Sure. Yeah. Whatever. We're stupid rich. I'll just buy it. I don't know. It's Or it's the sort of thing that gets made to pass around to the executives for like an anniversary of the company right. or something, you know? You know what bums me out? What? Tell me what I bums you out. I don't think my daughter knows who Bugs Bunny is. Really? Well, you think about the way like the state of animation and children's programming, like there's no reason for her to no, know. No, there's no like... What's that? There's that no is. like vintage, cha- like no channel that plays vintage cartoons anymore. Yeah, I mean, like my kid doesn't know. Like, well, she's five, so uh-huh. she might be like on the younger side for like the Flintstones or the Jetsons or whatever. Sure, but I don't think like unless I go out of my way to find those things, there's no reason for her to know what they are. And at the same time, like when I look at children's programming, like I'm fairly selective on like the content. Yeah, I'm not ultra selective because she just finds stuff and she'll watch it where I'm just kind of like, oh, this is pretty stupid. But like when I think about all the Looney Tunes stuff, like it's it's mindless. Like it's all mindless. Oh, totally. Uh, now you know there are far more mindless programs. Sure. On uh, on TV, but you know, as dumb as something like I would say something like My Little Pony is. Like, at least, you know, it's all about, like, hanging out with your buds and, like, if you're mean to your friends, like, you're going to have problems. So, you should, like, you need to try to get along with people. but some of my fondest memories of being a kid are sitting around Saturday morning and watching Roadrunner cartoons with my dad. Saturday morning cartoons don't exist. Like, you know, those cartoons don't mean anything, but the the experience you have when you're watching them does... There's only like one channel. Now, when I say there's only one channel, we have like the limited cable package. Right, so right. I only get broadcast. So there's only one broadcast channel that does Saturday morning cartoons. And it's all like anime 
oh, stuff. Yeah. It's all like Naruto, which I don't know really know what that is, and like that kind of stuff. The only show that they do that I recognize. Uh, let me rephrase. I recognize all the. Sh- I recognize a number of the shows because uh-huh. I know what they are. Like I just said, Naruto, or like uh, there's this, like a show called Ben Ten, I think. Yeah. Or um, Yu Gi Oh. So these are things that like I recognize because I work with like uh, kids and, and young adults, uh-huh. like high schoolers and middle schoolers and, and younger, uh, for various church things. But the only show that they show that the only program they show where I'm like, oh, I remember this, is Dragon Ball Z, and I'm not gonna watch that with my kid. Dragon Ball Z is half an hour of either people talking and nothing happening right. or half an hour of explosions. And those guys, their ears are too big. <laughs> what? Have you ever looked at their ears? <laughs> They're huge. I have not paid attention to their you ears. Take a look at their ears. I can't watch that stuff just because like, the proportions of their heads freak me out. Uh, here's, a, here's a question I have. What? What does any of this have to do with nothing. guitar? It's got nothing to do with guitar. Let's move on to the next ad. All right, last ad. Who posted this? Um, well, <laughs> oh, uh, I think Phil did. Phil Eisenhower. Okay. Um, thanks, Phil. Thanks. Thanks, Phil. <laughs> this, this is a Telecaster. It's a Telecaster. This is a super hot Squire. Oh, yeah. Three seventy five. Three seventy five in Orangevale, California, which is um, my anyway. I've been to Orangevale, but that's neither here nor there. Okay, um, it's there. It's not here. Yeah. Oh, this is only a picture of the ad. You don't. Do you have all the text? I don't. I figured we could pull it up on Facebook. Oh my to gosh. Talk about it. Have you pulled it up on Facebook? No, I have not. I well, have how not. are we going to talk about it, Ryan? Ah. <sighs> uh. <laughs> All right, so this is a super hot telly. It's a Squire Affinity Series telly in butterscotch blonde finish or butterscotch whatever finish. Um, and this guitar has a Bigsby on it. The guy's asking $375. It has been retrofitted with a Bigsby B50 model uh, tremolo, which actually it looks super classy. It's got that whole squ- uh, Fender. Uh, classic Telecaster look yeah, going on. It looks great. Um, it looks super hot. I can dig it. Yeah. Um, 375 Now, this guy goes like way out of his way to try to justify these prices. Uh-huh. Because um, this, this started its life as an affinity, right? Yeah, and it's going to finish its life as an affinity. So this was like... this On the used market, this would be like, what, like a $140 guitar? So... Maybe I the most I would pay for an affinity uh, is maybe like one twenty. Uh, there sure. are one seventy. I mean, this finish is nice though. This isn't like one of the weird. No, blue but this ones. is the main finish for for the Telecaster. Oh, okay, uh, is the butterscotch blonde. So uh, let's read some text. Jeez, uh, I don't care about any of this. Oh, I guess <laughs> I have to care about it. So anyway, first problem is this guy. Everything he lists is list price. So he says the list price for the guitar is two seventy nine ninety nine plus tax. That's great. It's one seventy nine ninety nine plus tax at Guitar Center. So if you pay yeah. list, you screwed yourself out of a hundred dollars. Yeah, no one pays. Congratulations. Uh, the Bigsby is the model B fifty. Now it was professionally installed by 
some guy at some company in Rockland, California. I'm not going to out these guys because maybe they shafted him. I don't know. Um, but maybe like they just gave him a square deal. Right. I mean, they, I don't they really want to charge him. They've got to charge him for his time. Right. You well, know? my concern is that the guy keeps talking about list prices. So all I can think is, did this shop oh, charge him list prices? Yeah. Now he does say he paid um, one thirty six sixty two plus tax and shipping for the Bigsby. Oh, not, really? He might have ordered it directly from Bigsby instead of buying it off of Amazon. That's way too much. It yeah. should be under a hundred. I think Phil found it on Amazon for like 85 Yeah, that sounds about right. So anyway, he has this long description. He said the modification came to over $400 when all was said and done. That includes the Bigsby vibrato, guitar modifications, and installation fees. In order to put this... Uh, so vib- this guy put $600 into a guitar. Yeah, and I think in order to put this vibrato on, they had to like modify the bridge. Oh, absolutely. Or, I think you got ne- to shim the neck for that, too. Oh, really? Yeah, because you got to have the, uh, the strings up, the, the saddles up a little bit higher. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you can hear, but my, my son is uh, making noises in the other room. Uh, so anyway, he says, this guitar is now a beautiful, one-of-a-kind instrument that allows you to get the classic sound of a telly and still have the flexibility to use a whammy bar. Think Terry Kath from the early days of Chicago. Uh, so so we've got the guitar, and then we've got this installation that he says was $400. So um, and then he's, he did, had a fret dressing job. So this service included the rounding and polishing of the frets, neck adjustment, uh, and intonation. The service smoothed out the sharp, rough edges of the factory-installed frets. Now there are absolutely no dead spots and no fret buzzing. It plays like a dream up and down the entire neck. The service was $50. So that's fair. Like $50 for a setup is a, f- yeah. is a more than fair price. Yeah. Um, and, with, and actually for the amount of work that he says was done, the polishing of the frets... Um, if they actually d- if they did the fret edging, uh-huh. that that's something that, it makes a huge difference, and I, that's something that I can't do. Yeah, totally. Like as far as the intonation, uh, adjusting the fret, like even like s- to some extent shimming, these are all things that I feel like that anyone who is even semi comfortable with tools uh-huh. can do these things totally. Um, but uh, the doing the fret edges. Is you you need like files and stuff, and that's just not something I'm. And you I'm need like steel ready. guards for the frets, and right? You need to tape off the whole thing. And so he says, um, this guitar with modification cost me over six hundred dollars. Asking price on Craigslist three seventy five. Um, I wouldn't pay more than two hundred dollars for this. Oh man, here's here's maybe my th- maybe two fifty. Here's my thing with this guitar. Maybe this guy got this guitar and then he saw a picture of a Telecaster with a Bigsby and he decided that's what he wanted instead. Right. He should have just sold this guitar and then gone out and spent $600, $700 on a full Fender guitar that already has these features. Or yeah. got, gotten a regular Telecaster... You can probably get one for five hundred bucks, like even like an MIM or something like that. Sure. And then put another hundred bucks into it to put the Bigsby on there. Yeah. Well, he's saying like all of the the bridge replacement or modification or whatever and everything was like for a four hundred dollar installation. That's steep, man. That's steep. There's something going on there. Now maybe it was like one thirty six plus like 
I guess if you said it was like 136 for the bridge plus, say, a $200 installation, which I could see because you're going to have to probably... There have to be telecasters gonna, on the market within that price range that have these features, right? Um... I don't. I don't know all the the Fender models off the top of my head. I feel like there's got to be. I don't know if Squire, if Squire has one with a Bigsby. No, I'm not talking about Squire. I'm talking about Fender. Does is there a Fender Modern Player with a Bigsby? There's got to be. There's got to be something similar to this. Even any any Telecaster with a Bigsby that you could easily, if it doesn't have single coils, you could take it back down to single coils for you know cost of pickups and a pick guard. You know. Because bridges are cheap too. Like a bridge, like an ashtray bridge like that is like 30 bucks if you get a Wilkinson. Right. A pickguard that if, like if you bought a uh, a Telecaster that has a big speed, but then it had humbuckers in it, you could convert it back to single coils uh, for like 150 bucks. So it doesn't look like Fender makes a modern player series with a big speed. Which, if they made one, that's where it would be in that price range. Would be the right. modern player. There's got to be something on the used market, though. I oh, don't know. sure. I, yeah, you could definitely do this on a better guitar for a lot cheaper. Oh, totally. But um, that's that's what I'm saying. I'm saying this guy should have taken the vast majority of that money, got started with a better guitar, right, and then done the work himself. Or you know, I. I understand not wanting to do a Bigsby installation solo. Like I can appreciate that. Sure, but you know, you start with an MIM. You you maybe you don't need all of the fret dressing and whatever. Uh, so you save like fifty bucks right there. You buy the guitar for like three hundred bucks. You know, I don't know. I seems like this guy poured a lot of money in this guitar just to turn around and sell it. Yeah, like it's it's one of those scenarios where. You know, if you're not happy with the guitar, these other things aren't going to fix it. You need to start out with a guitar that you're happy with. What are you doing? The way I'm watching the bubbles move around in this glass. <laughs> oh, man. So, so Thanks, the, Luke. At Thanks, the end Tim. Of the day, Thanks, Jeremy. Uh, this ad really exemplifies uh, something that we've talked about a lot on this podcast, which is... Upgrades don't usually increase the value of your guitar. No, not at all. In this all. case, like I said, you've added a Bigsby. Okay, the guitar was one eighty new. The Bigsby, oh, you say one thirty six. We'll just go with one thirty six. So sure. one eighty new plus one thirty six taxes. Pff, I don't care. <laughs> uh, so what? One one eighty and one thirty six. That's three hundred and sixteen dollars. All that installation crap. I don't care. It means nothing. I said two hundred dollars, like really, maybe two fifty tops. Yeah, for this, because maybe it's a great playing guitar. Three seventy five is a push. Yeah, like, three seventy five. I don't see that happening because at the bo- at the end of the day, like you can do all the cool stuff you want, but your base product is a Squire Telecaster Affinity Series, which might be a great playing guitar. Squire has sure. really stepped up their game. That bass that I got from Adam is an Affinity P bass. Uh-huh. It has some like crappy, 
crappy parts on it. Yeah. Uh, the tuners are like pulling away from the headstock. <laughs> I tried to screw them down. Now I can't turn the pegs. Oh my gosh. Like it is just, they are the, the whole tuning setup on that is just wonky. Yeah. But that thing plays like butter. Sure. And I, I always, whenever I go over to Adam's place, that thing is sitting out and I'm usually jamming on it. Right. Uh, and it's always fun. But yeah, like the hardware is suffering on that thing. Yeah, the hardware's terrible. Yeah, but then the neck is fine. And yeah. that's that's really the playing surface. So yeah. that's what so, matters the most. So my point being is that if you have a cheap guitar, you can put as many expensive parts on it as you want. You still have a cheap guitar. Absolutely. Um, should it be that way? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, but, you know, if you buy a Squire Telecaster... And drop a three hundred dollars set of Porter pickups on it, uh, on your freaking Squire Affinity Stratocaster. People yeah. aren't going to be like, "Oh yeah, that's an upgrade." You didn't. Are, what you just did is you didn't increase the value of your guitar. You decreased the value of your pickups. Exactly. Like okay, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, we, we can play with the numbers and whatever. The point is, is is you don't add the value of your pickups to that. You maybe you take the value of the guitar and the value of the pickups. And you average them. Absolutely. And that's what your guitars are worth. So congratulations, 180 plus 300, 480, you now have a $250 yeah. guitar. I've said this before in the past. It's, it, it also makes it more difficult to sell it because then you've got to find someone who wants both of those things. Yeah. You've got to find someone who wants that guitar and also wants those pickups. And that doesn't happen as often as someone who just wants the guitar. Sure. Or someone who just wants the pickups. If I saw a Squire Finney Telecaster on Craigslist with Porter pickups in it, I would buy it. I would rip the Porters out of it. I would put in whatever pickups I had laying yeah. around or I could get for cheap. But then you I would, would sell it again. Right. You would and then I'd be like, it. hey, guys, I got Porter pickups for 50 bucks." But then you wouldn't, you, wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't buy that setup for the price of that guitar plus the pickups. No, I'd buy it for like... 200 250 bucks yeah, you buy it for 25 dollars past the price of what that guitar is expected exactly. to, to sell for you exactly know? it's it's an upgrade but you're not getting full value of all that yeah absolutely so. not uh <laughs> got a little heated there yeah uh <laughs> we got a little excited got a little geared up not quite <laughs> I'm surprised that little hoot you did didn't show up bigger on uh, on the recording. My channel's probably not even turned on. You're probably just hearing me through your microphone. No, I'm watching you. You're <laughs> you're recording. Um, we've got a phone call. Which let's, phone call did we have? Let's take a phone call. Oh, we've got a, a phone call from Dougal. Dougal. Good old Dougal calling into the show for the first time. Uh, so we'll see what this is like. Uh, and then we'll come back in and talk about it. Oh, hey, fellas. It's your old friend Dougal. Hey, uh, I'll make this brief because I'm calling from a bus station payphone. Uh, you may not have heard from me lately because recently I picked up a copy of On the Road, Jack Kerouac's great American novel. And I felt so inspired that I packed my axe and hit the road myself. <laughs> anyway... I've been traveling from city to city, playing guitar on the street. And I've met a lot of really cool and interesting people, like this guy, Darren. He only has three fingers on his left hand, 
but he plays the most incredible version of Smoke on the Water I have ever heard. And he was telling me that the guitarist from Black Sabbath had something really weird where he didn't have fingertips, and so he had to tune his guitar down really low in order to get that drop, whatever it was, tone. Anyway, I thought that was a cool piece of trivia for you guys. And I was wondering if maybe you, Ryan and Steve, knew of any other kind of trivia, weird or even hearsay, that we might be interested in. Anyway, keep it sleazy, guys. (laughs) I'll see you on the other side. All right. uh, Great call from Dougal. Sounds like he's been out on the road. Uh, He first emailed us like one of our very early episodes asking about uh, like beach bonfire type of stuff. Seems like like the best thing to wear to a bonfire. Seems like he's outside a lot. Like he called from a bus station. Maybe he's homeless. Maybe Dougal's homeless. He's, he's, he sounds like quite a character though. Dougal, we like having you as a listener. We're glad that you made it to a phone. We glad, we're glad that you have some way of listening to podcasts. You're a, you're a true inspiration out there on the road. All right, real quick. <laughs> Do we have any trivia? Over, under. Uh, I guess you can't do an over, under with this. Uh, but what are the odds that Dougal will call us back to tell us that he listens to our podcast via transistor radio? <laughs> <laughs> Which won't make, doesn't make any sense. Right, won't right. make any sense to us. But that will be a statement. There's a good chance that we're all figments of Dougal's imagination. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever rules Dougal puts out into the world for us is what just what happens. All <laughs> du- right. Dougal's out in the desert right now smoking peyote, imagining yes. that he uh, is listening to a podcast about guitars. Right. And that has willed us into existence. What if Dougal doesn't actually listen? He just imagines that he's listened and has been calling phone numbers at random for like the last <laughs> and, seven months. And emailing emails at random and we just happen to have emails and phone calls from him? Maybe we invented Dougal. When was the last time you had a psych evaluation? Never. Me neither. You know, this is like that movie with John Cusack. Where we're all like fragmented personalities of one serial serial killer's mind. Oh, is that what movie was that? I forget. Insomnia? No. Um I forget what it was called. Don't look it up. I'm not just let it be a mystery. I'm someone someone the- say on the Facebook group what movie that was. I always got it confused with Memento. It's not Memento. I know it's not Memento. <laughs> All, right, All right, so trivia. Do we have any trivia? Do you have any trivia? Do well, you want I, me to, I have trivia. I know some stuff about uh, Tony Amoni's fingers, the okay. guitarist from Black Sabbath. All right. Uh, he lost the tips of his fingers in an industrial accident, and so he would wear like these metal thimbles on the tips of his fingers to play guitar, and that's always been like the signature of his sound, like the thing that makes him sound the way he does. I don't know about him down tuning. Maybe he does. I wouldn't be surprised. I know what you're talking about. He has to. Because it's just like Uh, skin on bones sort of thing. Well, it's because of like, because he doesn't have like the, the down force angle or whatever with his Mm. fingers. Like 
He has to down tune. That's why those early Sabbath records are so sludgy. Yeah. Um, no, I think maybe with like the thimbles, like he can maybe do a little higher tuning. I don't know, but like he doesn't have fingertips. I don't think he has like full length fingers. Yeah, I know that uh, Phil Keegy, he doesn't have all his fingers. I don't know if he lost them or if he was born that way, but his strumming hand, he's only got like two and a half fingers or something like that. You know who who else was like that? Who? Oh, I just actually found the Phil Keegy thing. He's missing half of the middle finger on his right hand due to a childhood accident with a, a water pump. Oh. So it's only half of one finger. Well, the way he plays, it, like the way he holds his hand, it always looks like he's got like a totally mangled hand. And it's on his right hand. You don't even need that. No, hand. no, it doesn't really affect your playing. I only um, use I only use my finger and my thumb when I play guitar. So you can cut off three fingers and I'll be fine. Uh, the really obvious one that like we so we listen. That's to not this true. Sometimes I use my ring finger. We listened to this call before, and um, I just didn't think about it till right now. Is Django Reinhardt? Uh, like Django Reinhardt's whole gypsy jazz style. Uh-huh. The reason gypsy jazz became a style, well, I mean, it was a style of music, but Django plays it all with two fingers and it kind of became like the signature way to play that style of music. But he played it with two fingers because that's all he could play it with. Right. Like, I don't know exactly what the whole backstory is on his hand, but basically, a, a, he could only play with two fingers. Interesting. Um, Django, Colin, what's with your fingers? I think he's dead. I think he's unchained. <laughs> Steve just threw something. <laughs> That's awful. <laughs> All right. Um, so anyway, oh, a non-finger related trivia. Uh, I heard this recently and it, it is true. Um, that the famous, very famous outlaw country uh, performer, musician, whatever, Waylon Jennings, uh, sh- isn't supposed to be alive. He should be dead. Uh, according to Is final, what you're saying. You wish, you wish he was dead. According to Final Destination rules, Ooh. he should be dead. Well, was John Denver around yet? No. That's, the, that's a problem. Uh, so Waylon Jennings was part of Buddy Holly's band. Uh-huh. And on the uh, the inc- famous incident, the day the music died, the day, that actual day in history, uh-huh. uh, where uh, Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, and the Big Bopper died, mm-hmm. the Big Bopper wasn't supposed to be on that airplane. Uh, Waylon Jennings was part of Buddy Holly's band, and as part of the band, like he was, he could, f- he flew on the plane with Buddy Holly. Right, he um, flew on the plane. But uh, the big bopper had the flu. Yeah, no, he flew on the plane. No, he he had like influenza. Oh, uh. and because of that, like <laughs> being on the bus for like eight hours was not uh, something that was comfortable for him. Sure, uh, being one being sick and two being the big bopper, or maybe everyone else on the bus was like, "Dude, we don't want a sick big bopper on the bus." Right. Well, I mean, he was the big bopper; like he was a large person, right, or at least a tall person, and he always bopped, so he didn't fit on buses. Yeah. So Waylon Jennings was like, "Oh yeah, sure, you can take like I'll ride the bus, whatever. Like you take my spot. Like it's better for everyone on tour." And then that airplane crashed. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so then the music died, and the music died, and we haven't had music ever since. Nope, 
And we got a couple uh, kind of B-rated movies out of it. The Gary Busey story? I'm sure. <laughs> wow. Uh, the Buddy Holly story starring Gary. Oh, thanks, Luke. Thanks, Why? Tim. Thanks, Jeremy. Oh, my gosh. Can't believe I just did that. Let's get oh, to the topic. I hope someday there's a movie that is the Gary Busey the Gary story. Bu- there will be. I heard he was like, he was. Uh, I, in some kind of like car accident, and that's why he's crazy. Is that not true? I have no idea. A car accident made him crazy? Yeah, like he was normal before then, and then he was in like some kind of car accident, and it's all been downhill. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't think I've ever seen a picture of, of him where he looked normal. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. All right, so we got this topic. Um, I don't remember. Do you remember who posted this? I did you did. I don't. Oh, I think I saw it on one of the like the gear groups. That oh, I'm on. Okay, so this is an NPR article. This is actually from uh, the NPR All Songs Considered uh, blog, and which All Songs Considered is that also a podcast? I think so. Or a radio program slash sure. podcast. We're stealing from a podcast. Yeah, we're stealing from NPR. They're public, so is it legal to steal from them? Yeah, it's our property. Doesn't matter. Uh, I'm only going to take this question. I'm actually not going to read any of the rest of this. Oh, dude, your wife just sent us an Ivan as Iceman H.R. Geiger series oh, no. for our future ad. <laughs> uh, so Jay writes, this is uh, from this article. Uh, Jay writes via email, some bands feature virtuosos and that's what makes them great. Van Halen, Mahavanishu Orchestra. Other bands feature virtuosos and that's what makes them terrible. Dream Theater. Is it ever okay to dis- <laughs> There's just one one example of a yeah. terrible band. <laughs> Is it ever okay to dislike a band for playing too well? Is technical ability alone a sound defense of a band? Um thoughts? Uh, I I am on the side that that uh like technical ability can like hinder the listenability of a musical piece. So this auth- the author of this article actually takes a pretty neutral stance. It's like people sure. are going to like what they're going to like. Um, I've known musicians. One of the bands they mentioned is Rush. I know musicians who love Rush. Sure. But for what it's worth, like all the people I know who hate Rush, they just hate it because of Getty Lee singing. It doesn't have anything <laughs> to do with the music. Yeah. Well, it's not his singing that bothers me. It's the it's the lyrics that bother me. Okay. Uh, I could get behind like a, a vocal that's. Different. You mean you're not you don't want to hear about how today's Tom Sawyer gets high on you? <sighs> yeah, I can't take any Rush songs seriously. They're all jokes to me. Um, he did Mr. Roboto, right? Yeah. Uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> Wasn't that that was, that was Sticks? Oh, Sticks. That's in right. Excess? I need you yeah, to I knew it was something with an X. All right. Um, uh, here's here's kind of my initial reaction to this line of thinking. Sure. Um, I think what people don't like to listen to, people who aren't guitarists and who aren't like shredder nerds, what they don't like to listen to is virtuoso playing where the band is just hanging out playing it simple so some guy can just deedly 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 like there are a lot of people out there who like to sit down and listen to like a really complicated classical music piece and really enjoy it it's much more 
accessible to most people. Yeah. Because the whole piece is complicated, but even in being complicated, it's still like got a strong melody and a strong kind of sense of musicality where a lot of these guitar virtuosos, if you're not used to listening to that, it just sounds like some guy playing every single note that there is. Right. And I mean, a lot of those bands, uh, they venture into, I don't want to say non-standard, but they don't vent, they venture outside of the realm of popular time signatures. Oh, absolutely. So I think when you're used to listening to like 4-4 four, four all the time uh-huh. with the occasional 3-4 and then you're thrown like a 6-4 or like a 9-8 or whatever, uh-huh. um, like that time signature is becomes distracting. If that's something that you're into or if that's something that you understand, like polyrhythms, like I listen to song, some songs that are polyrhythmic. Uh-huh. Uh, where there's like multiple time signatures happening, and I'm like, oh, this is the raddest thing ever. And other times where I'm just like, what is going on? <laughs> one what? of these one of these rhythms in the polyrhythm is bad. One of the <laughs> one of the things that I was thinking about as I read this article and was thinking about the question is, you, to me, the difference between Van Halen and Dream Theater isn't that like, oh, one has a tolerable virtuoso guitarist and the other one doesn't because. Quite frankly, neither of them have tolerable virtuoso. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but oh. the, differ- the difference is uh, is David Lee Roth. Sure. Or and, or Sammy Hagar. Yeah. And, and No, just David Lee Roth. <laughs> uh, but but it, uh, what I mean by that is Dream Theater is an instrumental band. So when an instrument becomes like the melody driver, I think it becomes more difficult for people to connect with uh-huh. because when you hear a melody, one, it's like a simple hook that gets stuck in your head a lot of the time. And two, there's lyrics attached with that. And sometimes those lyrics are stupid, but because somebody's speaking to you, uh-huh. um, well, if you think of a Van Halen know, song, every single no. Van Halen song with the exception of eruption is a pop song with a 45-second guitar solo exactly. placed in there somewhere. Exactly, and if Van Halen was dropping on record what they have been known to do live, which is give Eddie Van Halen a 20-minute guitar solo, uh-huh. Like imagine listening to a Van Halen record where you had to listen to freaking the Eruption guitar solo for 20 minutes straight. Sure. You'd be like, what is wrong with these people? I mean, if you show up to a stadium show... Because you love Van Halen, you get to hear a couple songs. You get to hear like your favorite song, and then all of a sudden, Eddie plays for just twenty minutes. Your mind is blowing out the back of your head. Yeah, because you're stoked. You're seeing your guitar god do something that you love for a long time, and he doesn't stop. And you're just on this ride the whole time. If if you're Listening to that on the radio, you're like, when is this deedly, deedly, deedly stuff going to stop? Exactly. Like the, because I guarantee you in that scenario, the drums and the bass are just going, doom, doom, doom. A lot of the times they are, and like maybe, and and he's just, and maybe they're doing some kind of like alternate time signature or whatever, but. But for like he's hitting the Floyd real hard, right? <laughs> Maybe they're doing some kind of alternate time signature. But for those performers, like they're probably just doing the same thing over and over again. Sure, sure. I and mean, that, I, I that's saw... part of musicianship. That's not you know every member 
of Dream Theater is like a world class musician, and that's why they oh, all totally. get guitar. They all get not. They don't all get guitar solos. The drummer gets a great guitar solo. Yeah, uh, they they all get <laughs> their own like long instrumentals. Like Dream right. Theater has songs with long drum solos. Yeah, they have songs with like really complex longer bass solos, keyboard solos, like whatever. But what what's missing is that is that like that con- human connection, I guess. Uh huh. And a lot of that is, I think, because one, we're just so used to listening. I think a lot of it is because we're used to listening to simple pop music. Uh huh. And so, as listeners, we want that connection back to uh, normal, I guess. Sure, sure. We want something that we can sing along with. Yeah. And and along those lines, like a suit. First of all, Dream Theater. Uh, I don't know who Mahavishnu Orchestra is. Either do I. Awesome. Um, <laughs> but Dream Theater, Rush, like we can say like, oh, these are bands that people don't like because they're too complex. But Rush will do a, a 50-city tour and sell out 50 shows in a row. Oh, totally. Dream Theater will do a 50-city tour and sell out 48 of 50. No, <laughs> they'll, they'll, they'll sell everything out. Like, sure, sure. People like Dream Theater. What... Who the people who don't like Dream Theater are like pop culture consumers, and that's fine. Like you know that, else, you that's know, most of us. You know who else is on this list is uh, like the Joe Bonamassas of the world, like people. Sure, who, all the blues guys. Yeah, all those guys who just you know they play these big electric blues sets where they hit every single note and they play you know like this big electric blues sound, right. But it's not really radio friendly. It's not listenable as a song. But the people who who get off on that, who love just guitar jamming, like they can't get enough of it. Sure. And they'll sit there and they'll watch a concert for you know an hour and a half and just they'll they'll tell their friends about it for the rest of their life. And, and at the end of the day, that's what separates like a pop artist or a pop musician or or whatever uh-huh. from someone who's like a rock musician when i say pop i don't mean that in a negative way I no just, no no i just mean that in a way pop, you mean popular yeah um you don't mean the genre of pop you mean yeah. you mean the 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 designation of being popular music sure um i've mentioned this before and i saw a quote somewhere that's where somebody mentioned it is like basically that like John Mayer writes like two or three songs that he thinks will be radio hits uh-huh. and that gives him the freedom to do whatever he wants with the other 10 tracks of the album. Right. And so, you know, what people hear of John Mayer is like if you're not buying the album, all you're hearing is the three garbage well, what I would cons- <laughs> What a lot of times I I think of as like, oh, this is a garbage track. Well, I think it takes a lot of skill and a lot of creativity to write a really solid pop song. Like, I think that's a real... Oh, absolutely. That's a real thing. But it's a skill that I don't want to uh, appreciate. Sure. But there's (laughs) there's a lot of garbage pop songs out there, but there's a lot of genius pop songs. Yeah. Uh, You know, you're going to have the good and the bad. There's, you know, the manufactured corporate sort of stuff where it's like okay there's nothing new in this and then there's you know some song that comes along it's like how is this so good i hate the song that it's so good and that it's so simple but like i can't stop thinking about it well i you know i always bring up john um because we're on a first name basis of course mr mayor and i yeah um johnny m johnny m yeah uh I always bring him up because 
I I only own his first album, and I know people who really loved his other stuff, and I just never bought it. Uh-huh. But his first album um, has so it, it, basically when he came out, he was all kind of put out there as like an acoustic singer songwriter. Uh huh. Um, but the thing is that so I got this album, and I, I heard had heard uh, the first single was kind of like this. Um, I don't know how I would describe it. Almost like Dave Matthewsy. Sure, it was just like college, collegiate, like acoustic guitar playing. Dave Matthews, Jason Mraz, whatever, yeah. like all kind of that same thing. I mean, take your baseball bat, your baseball hat, turn it around. You know, grab, it, grab an acoustic guitar, get an acoustic guitar, get a red cup, fill it with something. Yeah, that's your music. So I bought that album, and I think I had heard some other stuff of it. I think I this was probably back in the Napster days, so I'd probably downloaded the whole thing before I bought it. Right, right. Um, but there are tracks on there where once you realize that he's playing the main guitar in all of these songs, where you're going like, there's one song uh, for you guys who are familiar with John Mayer, the song Neon. Playing that song and singing at the same time. Like that's sure, still sure. something to this day that blows my mind, uh, because like the rhythms going on are just like they're crazy. And he, I mean, he established from the beginning that he is like a legit solid guitar player, regardless right. of what you think about his persona. Maybe he's overrated. I'm sure there's better blues players out there. Whatever, uh, whatever. Like you can say he's overrated, but the reality is, is whether he's overrated or not, he should be rated somewhere on the positive side. Sure. And the fact that there are people that think he's the greatest, I don't think he's the greatest no, no. blues player, but I definitely think when you talk about like I think John Mayer, I'm going to I'm going to make this statement. Make it. Here in episode 47, John Mayer is to the 2000s, maybe not now cuz now that we're in the 2010s. Uh-huh. John Mayer is to the 2000s what Eric Clapton was to the 1960s and 1970s. Uh, yeah, I wasn't alive then, but I, I've, I don't, I, yeah, he's a, a, he's a white guy who's not the greatest blues player, but he makes music that people want to listen to. Yeah. I, I, I'm not like, I'm not one of these Clapton is God kind of guys, but I feel like Clapton had just, a much deeper well of influence in his time, you know. Sure. Well, there are a little. I'm he's gonna, a little uh, closer to the roots of blues. There. I'm going to disagree with you. Fine. <laughs> um, so, um, so, so I, let's let's steer this away from John Mayer. <laughs> um, let's talk about these virtuoso guys. I mean, you got your guys like your Steve Vai's, you've got your Joe Satriani's, you've got your Malmsteen's. Yeah. You've got dream theory. You got Petrucci. Yeah. Um, you've got a, uh, who's another one of these guys. There's so many of them. There's yeah. Gary Hoey, Gilbert, Gilbert, Gilbert. Uh, Esteban. <laughs> Esteban is not on this list. <laughs> You're a terrible person. <laughs> I feel like there's someone really obvious that that we're missing. Um, oh, Michelangelo Badio. Do you remember that dude? No, he's the guy that plays like the quad net guitar. Oh gosh, uh, there's all kinds of these guys out there. Um, every now and then, one of them comes out with a track that's really listenable. Like I think right. like, "Surfing with an Alien," "Surfing with the Alien" is a really great track from Joe Satriani. 
I think you've really got to be a special kind of person to be into listening to, to Steve Vai a lot. Because a lot of that stuff is just... I'm not going to say it's too out there for me, but it's too... It's sure. too... Like, it's kind of pretentious, but in the same vein, it's kind of, like, gaudy. Yeah. You know? Well, you know, there's a whole bunch of these, like, prog rock bands. The King Crimson's. Yeah, yeah. And um, the, you know, Yes. Sure. Uh, all these different bands... Uh, one of the bands that actually I think, like I said, I think it's about accessibility to the mainstream more than anything because one of the bands that I've been thinking about the whole time we've been talking about this um, is, oh, Al Petrelli. That's the guy whose name I was trying to remember. Um, and for those of you who know who Al Petrelli is, you just went, oh, yeah, Al Petrelli. I know what you're going to talk about right now. <laughs> Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Sure, sure. Trans-Siberian Orchestra is I mean, is Christmas based, is coming up. Yeah, and this is thematic because Christmas. Trans-Siberian Orchestra is the dream theater of Christmas music. Yeah. Their music, if you didn't know Tchaikovsky, sure. if you didn't know Kor- Rimsky Korsakov or whatever, like I think if they do a Rimsky Korsakov track, if you didn't know all of these different like Russian composers, the Nutcracker Suite, uh, all of these different... Classic, yeah, classical Christmas music uh, tracks. Um, then you would be like Trans Siberian Orchestra. That's just a bunch of guys wanking. Oh, totally. But because you're like, oh, this is Christmas music, and I know you know Nutcracker Suite, uh, and I know all of these different classical songs that they are playing as a rock band. Yeah, you're like this. Oh, I love this. That's a good point. Famili- familiarity goes a long way. Yeah, I don't. I'm sure I know these people exist. I don't want to say I don't know anyone who doesn't like Trans Siberian Orchestra, but I know very few people who cannot appreciate Trans Siberian sure, Orchestra. Sure, sure. Like it's, it puts you in a special place. Yeah, it's Christmas. It's, it's a Christmasy sort of thing. It's but it's also epic, and like it feels like it fills your whole kind of consciousness. Like your, it takes your whole attention when you hear it. Yes. Um, I th- I'm going to talk about something for a little bit. You talk about it. Um, I think there's a certain level of virtuosity within songwriting. Because when you think of a virtuoso, especially in guitar players, you think of someone who doesn't have a lot of restraint. They're just playing all these notes, all these scales. They're just arpeggios from hell, you know? Like yeah. all over the place. They're getting it all over the walls. <laughs> I think that we should like be looking for examples of virtuosity in restraint. And that's really where we're going to find virtuosity in pop music. Like what an example I'm really thinking of is, uh, you know, the, the theme song for shaft. Sure. The guitar part in that song is the guitarist, just one guy for the entire song, and it's a long song. I think mm-hmm. it's like six or seven minutes or something. He's literally playing like two or three notes and rocking the wah pedal the whole time. Right. But he's doing it just right and keeping it just in the pocket. And it takes a lot of restraint to be like, these are the three perfect notes. Sure. These are the thing that's going to hold the song the whole time. If I stop, that will be distracting. 
<laughs> you know, it's this is this is the this is the pulse of the song, really. Well, you know, I've I've mentioned this before along the notes. Um, Everyday People by Sly and the Family Stone. Sure. Uh, Larry Graham, I think it's Larry Graham, plays one bass note the entire song. Like yeah. He plays the same note over and over again. I think it's a, like the low E. That's all he plays for the entire song. But that's one of like the most memorable bass lines. Yeah. I, mean, I, th- I think there's a virtuosity in songwriting to know what is the exact thing that is needed the exact thing is going to have this maximum um, impression on the listener. Right. The thing that's really just going to lock it in. And, you know, there's something to be said for someone who can play every single note, like within a few beats, you know, someone who can just work the neck up and down. But I think there's much more value. And I think that's kind of the heart of the article. There's much more value to the general population to right. someone who can create a piece that controls the perceptions of a listener. Well, music is a, I mean, it's an emotional thing and it's a division. It's a musical division. And it's about recognizing the fact that like, we don't listen to classical music as a general sure, population. Sure. Well, I think we so, do more than we realize. Sure. It's, it's within our, if you're in, if you're part of Western culture, it's within our cultural language. Yeah, and I don't think maybe we realize like when we're listening to, you know, when we're watching movies. Yeah. There's so much basically what I would consider classical music or orchestral music. Absolutely. All our movies have orchestra music. Yeah. Um, But we don't want that for pop music. We want something for pop music that connects to us at an emotional level. Uh Uh-huh. Or a sexual level. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Um, Which was my favorite level of the of like the Mario Brothers game, the sexual, the sexual level. level. <laughs> Sorry, the princess is not here. <laughs> That's the sexual tension level. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's just uh, there's just a, a, a wild driver in you know. Like I said, I think pop music, like we want to connect to it at some sort of personal level we want to make it our own uh-huh and the virtuosity like maybe you know if you there are people who will listen to a virtuoso play and be like oh this movement makes me feel this emotion uh-huh um but like i said before i think most of us like when we hear something as a moving piece it's because uh the song literally says like we say oh this song speaks to me because it's literally speaking to us. Yeah. And maybe whatever is being said in the song is being emphasized by the music. Um, but it's about the words. Yeah, I guess. But the the, mu- the instrumentation makes the world in which the, wor- the words oh, absolutely. exist. You know? Absolutely. And it's, if, if all anyone cared about was the beat and the words, then we'd all be listening to, uh, you know, jam poetry or what is that called? Right. No, I know what you're saying. Yeah. We, we, you, there wouldn't be songs on the radio. There'd be a guy playing bongo and a, and a poet. Yeah. So to wrap it up, what do we want to say? Like, I, I don't think we can even really scratch the surface of what any of this means. Yeah. I, you know, 
I came out kind of like against the art, what the article is saying, which was like kind of, you know, people are going to listen to what they want to listen to. Um, and I mean, historically in American pop music, I mean, going back 70 years, sure. what, what percentage of songs have had, you know, a virtuoso element? Well, talking about like if you're thinking of like a guitar shredder, like very few. Even that question is, oh, yeah, very few. But even that question is hard to answer because our classic rock stations, they don't play what was popular. That's true. In that time period. Hendrix never had a big album. Yeah. Led Zeppelin never had a big album. Pink Floyd never had a. I I don't think they had a big album. They were popular for the style of music they were doing, but. You know, this nostalgia we have for um, Stairway or for The Wall or for Wish You Were Here or for uh, uh, Purple Haze. Yeah. Uh, I had to think of that. I had to sing those two notes so I can remember the name of the song. (laughs) Um, These are all hindsight things. And for you and I, like, these are all songs that, like, we weren't alive around the first time. Sure, we don't know. I've only heard Hendrix on classic rock stations. Right. And ninety four nine, was he on ninety four nine? They've played some stuff like that. Okay, ninety four nine is like an alt station. Yeah, it's a alternative rock and yeah. whatever. But um, the my whole my whole thing is like there's room for all kinds of music. Um, if you are saying, oh, you can't appreciate Rush because like the music's too complicated, or you don't like the lyrics. Or you don't like the guy's voice, or you don't like Dream Theater because, like, all you hear is diddly, 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 diddly for 20 minutes straight. Uh huh. And you're judging that person for that? Well, there are two words to describe you. The first word uh, starts with a D and ends with an oosh, and the second word is bag. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, so that's my opinion, and I'm sticking to it. Uh, what is that from? Uh, I don't know. That's my it's from opinion, Nostalgia and Critic. I'm to it. It's, oh, it's isn't it from uh, the Critic? But I don't. I've never watched the Critic, but it might be. I think that's what it's from. From uh, what's his name, John? John Lovitz. John Lovitz. His cartoon yeah. show. I think you know. There's always things that are going to be I'm wrong, though. I think I'm wrong. I don't know. There's always things that are going to be popular with the mainstream, and sometimes things that are on like the virtuoso rock side. Or the virtuous or whatever side are gonna are gonna be able to make that crossover. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm trying to think of something that's maybe more recent that's within our time, uh, our time of life. I think that's people kind of done that sort of thing that are like Muse fans think of Muse as like a virtuoso band. Okay, but I think that's more along the lines that they just sound epic. Like, right. I don't ever listen to a Muse song and think like, oh my gosh, these guys are really like top notch, like every single note, like they just are nailing it. But I think they do nail that epic sound. Like they really get that huge sort of thing. I think that's about as close as people in the current generation get to thinking about kind of virtuosity. That's fair. At least as far as like people and like mainstream. Yeah. And I think... We've hit an experimental phase. I say we've hit it. I mean, I think it's been 20 years at least Uh in the work um, where what we consider brilliant isn't about how many notes you can play. It's about like what 
level of weirdness can you hit? Yeah. Um, I think the success of guys like Tom Morello have been about one, the message. If sure. You, if I listen to a raging, but, but I'd, again, I'd think of Tom Morello as, as a measure of, uh, creative virtuoso exactly well, he's not a playing virtuoso he's not like okay this guy is, knows how to get from the first fret to the 24th exactly. and all and all the notes in between exactly it, but it's a guy who knows who can creatively come up with a way to get from the third fret to the seventh fret in a way that you never thought of before right and, and i would say the same thing about a guy like johnny greenwood from radiohead sure sure where Maybe and and actually, I think Radiohead might be the perfect example of a band that fits in this because, to me, Radiohead is a very difficult band to access at a pop music sure, level. Sure, sure, they have like their Karma Police, uh, but for every Karma Police, like I remember, Paranoid Android was popular when I was like maybe thirteen when I first started watching MTV. I was like thirteen uh-huh. or fourteen. A lot of that stuff uh, is so dissonant. Paranoid too. Android was like on MTV all the time. It was this animated thing this animated music video and I would watch it and the whole time I'd be like, I don't know what's going on here. I'm not sure if I should like this or not. Like it's really weird. I've got, um, I'm not a big Radiohead fan. I've got their in rainbows album and there's stuff on there where I'm just like, I don't, I just can't comprehend what's going on, but I know people love Radiohead. And I think it's like you said with Tom Morello, like there's this like almost creative savant, right. this creative virtuoso where they're just doing something musically that is so creative that people who can access that are like, this is amazing. But the rest of the population is listening to it going like, I don't understand how all these parts fit together. Right, right. Like Pete, I think it's, you can think about, about it like cars, like, People can appreciate like a really fine designed automobile, sure. but the vast majority of the population doesn't understand what that really means. They they sure. like, oh, this has got leather and it's got wood trim <laughs> and stuff, and it's very expensive. It must be nice. But then, like, a, like a, someone who's into the engineering of it is going to enjoy it on a much different level, right? And when it comes to virtuoso music, like you've got to be able to make music that. Even if you've got your virtuosity in it, mm-hmm. the general population has to be able to connect with that, you know, that leather seat with that wood trim. Yeah. You know, with the finer details of it. They don't, without being able to be bogged down by the engineering of it. Right. And I think that's the problem with a lot of the shredder music is that the engineering of it is on the front end and the general population just can't connect with yeah. it. I think if you took a Dream Theater song and had Taylor Swift sing on it, sure, people would be all about Dream Theater. And you go 50-50 on it where like 50% yeah. of the song, they lay back and let her sing. And then like in the breaks, they, they pick it up and do this virtuoso thing. And maybe she dances around for a while. She's not very good at dancing, but I know what you You don't mean. have to be good at dancing to be a pop star. <laughs> you just have to jump around a little bit. Okay. Okay. Uh, you know, it would if they did like a like a TV special like that. It would be huge. People would lose, oh yeah lose their damn mind. Well, you think so? Speaking of virtuosos, Nuno Betancourt from the band Extreme. Oh yeah. Uh, so most of us only know Extreme for the song "More Than Words," uh-huh. but the reality is, is that they were like a metal band. Yeah. And Nuno Betancourt is like a beast guitar player. 
he is I don't I don't want to say he is, but I know he was for a long time the touring guitarist for Rihanna. Oh wow. Rihanna's like radio cuts, I'm always like, uh, oh, this is like half the time I'm like, this is garbage. Some of the times I'm like I don't just don't know what to think about this. Sometimes I just feel awkward. Mm-hmm. Um but when I've seen her live and Nuno Betancourt is playing guitar, he kills it. Right. He like kills it so hard. Right, right. <laughs> he he will fight for you so hard. <laughs> um, but like it's with this thing where it's this pop music, but but you can just tell that the guy who's playing guitar like he is there's something going on with him that he sure. he is something that you should be paying attention to. Um, and it works and maybe he plays like something shredder. Maybe he just plays something simple, but you can definitely feel like the guy who's playing guitar, like, isn't just your run of the mill guitar player. Yeah, totally. And, and that's, I mean, that's a perfect example of kind of this prog pop crossover that unfortunately, or for, I mean, it's probably intentional. Uh huh. I think bands like dream theater and whatever, like they know what they're doing. Sure. I think they maybe are doing what they're doing on purpose. Oh, I'm sure they're making tons of money. They've got, oh, yeah. They've got all their fans. Why would they ever do anything different? Mm-hmm. Why would they do anything different? You know, there's no reason for them to try to capture the pop audience. Yeah. That would be disastrous from them. They don't. Well, yeah. No. Nope. Their fans don't want a bunch of pop people hanging out at their, no. their shows. Justin They're, Bieber featuring Dream Theater. Yeah. No one wants that. <laughs> um, let's wrap this up. Uh, we're over an hour or so. Uh, it is, it is December. Yeah. We're, we're into Christmas season. Yeah. So neither uh, of us are against Christmas. We're not, uh, well, as far as I know, neither of us are warring against Christmas. No, <laughs> not yet. <laughs> not yet. Um, well, when I saw wrapping paper being sold in Costco at, uh, in, in July, in, in July. <laughs> I was ready to war against Christmas, but yeah. it's December. Now's the time to not war against it. I am anti-Christmas until the day after Thanksgiving, and then I'm full bore. Like, let's do some Christmas. It's Christmas time. Yeah. Um, we're gonna Did play. You say Christmas? Yeah, just Christmas. Um, we're gonna play some Christmas songs uh, until we hit the New Year's episode. Yeah. Um, so this first one's from Co. Yeah, Co sent us a Christmas and his song. His friend Ryan Poole. Oh, okay. Um, they had some band name that I forgot because it was probably stupid. <laughs> <laughs> we love you, Co. Damn, son. Oh, Co, congratulations on the new baby. Oh, yeah, Co. You had a child. Yeah. Well, your wife had a child. and Well, you, he helped. You, you, never mind. I'm not going to get into the biology of that. <laughs> um, Steve? Yes. Where do babies come from? <laughs> well, Ryan, <laughs> there's this thing called a store. <laughs> and... All right, so we're going to play this song. Uh, If you have a Christmas song that you have recorded, send it to us. We will play it on one of the next episodes until we hit January. Like we said, Uh, we're not going to overdo this too much. We're not going to be one of those podcasts that plays Christmas songs every episode, we promise. You know the podcast. You know which ones I'm talking about. Uh, So enjoy the song. See you guys next week. Uh, Have some fun Christmas shopping. Yeah, see you guys. Yeah. Twas the night before Christmas when all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung, 
by the chimney with care In hopes that St. Nicholas would soon be there The children were nestled all snug in the beds While visions of sugar plums dancing their heads And mama in a kerchief and I in my cap Had just settled down for a long winter's nap When out on the lawn there arose such a clatter I sprang from the bed to see what's the matter Away to the window I flew like a flash Tore open the shutters I threw up the sash The moon on the breast of the new fawn snow Gave the luster a midday to objects below When what to my wondering I should appear But a miniature slaying eight tiny reindeer The little old driver so lively and quick I knew in a moment it must be St. Nick More rapid than eagles as course as they came And he whistled and shouted and called them by name Not